0: sure by now that most of you are aware that we are living in divided times. Two people with very similar backgrounds can have super different responses to the exact same question. These are often important, but controversial questions like, does pineapple belong on pizza? <laughs> or is a hot dog a sandwich? Now in actuality, these questions don't really matter. I have opinions on them, but they're not strong opinions. I like pineapple on pizza, I think it's great. I'll eat other pizza though, I won't force you to eat it. And I think a hot dog isn't really a sandwich, but I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. Maybe you don't have an opinion on these things, you haven't thought about them, or you just don't really care. But there are some issues on which there is no room for middle ground. There are some things in life where you are either on the right side or the wrong side. Today, we're looking at the second half of Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. You can go ahead and turn there now. And in today's passage, we're going to see that like it or not, you will either have the right response to Jesus or the wrong response. You will either see him as he actually is, or you'll miss the point entirely. With Jesus, there is no middle ground. With Jesus, you have to pick sides. We'll start today by looking at what the two sides are, and then we'll look at what the consequences are for you, if you pick the right side or the wrong side. So please stand for the reading of God's word from Matthew 12, starting in verses 22 to 30. Then a demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, our passage kicks off with what's probably by now a very familiar scene. We've seen this before. Someone's got a problem, they come to Jesus, and Jesus fixes it. In just the book of Matthew, we've seen this already dozens and dozens of times, and here it is again, there in verse 22. A demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Needless to say, this would have been life-changing. Here's a guy who was completely cut off from his people. We're we're talking years and years of not being able to, to see faces. Of being trapped in his own mind unable to respond if somebody called his name or asked him a question and now for the first time in a long time he can speak and see guys isn't that incredible and more than just being physically healed this man had also been released from a spiritual disease as well see this man had been under constant attack from evil spirits powerful demons. We, we don't really talk about this much in the modern Western world, even though demonic activity is still very much a real and very serious thing. But back then, in Jesus' time, folks were, they were fearfully aware that demons were incredibly powerful and active. They were spreading lies, causing sickness, inflicting deep anguish and pain. And yet, as we just saw, even demons cannot stand before Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ frees this man from demonic oppression. And and this, folks, this is nothing short of a miracle. And so, when you see a miracle, you think there will only be really one way to understand what just happened. But as we're going to see, the same miraculous event prompts two very different, responses, two very different explanations. What are these explanations? First from the crowd, verse 23. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? Throughout the book of Matthew, after miracle upon miracle upon miracle, the crowds had only become more and more and more impressed by Jesus. They were saying, this guy's the real deal. We we have never seen anything like this before. And here in chapter 12, for the first time in the book of Matthew, the first time, they start to think and wonder, "Is, is this guy maybe the son of David? Is this the son of David? What they mean by this question is is more than just, who's your dad? (laughs) This goes deeper than just family background. See, for, for ages and ages, Israel had been promised that one day, a descendant of their greatest king, King David, would come to free his people from its enemies and reclaim the throne of Israel. Maybe this guy, maybe this Jesus was him the son of David, maybe, maybe this was the Messiah, the one who was finally going to change everything. Maybe. But all this talk was making the Pharisees very nervous. See, they're, they're standing there in the corner and they're hearing what the people are saying. They're seeing them start to rally around this Jesus guy and they're starting to think, maybe this is getting a little out of hand. We're, we're losing control here. This Jesus guy is dangerous. Because as we saw last week, Jesus doesn't exactly fit inside anybody's box. In their minds, in the Pharisees' minds, a guy like Jesus was not someone that God approved of. Certainly not someone that God would use. Somebody who could wield the power of God. And so if Jesus wasn't casting out demons by God's power... That really only leaves one option. The second explanation of what just went down. There in verse 24. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Whoa. That's a big accusation. They are accusing Jesus of linking up with Beelzebub. Who's Beelzebub? Well, it says is the prince of demons. Beelzebub literally means the lord of the flies, the lord of the dung heap. It was a name that the Jews used to call Satan himself. A spiritual being who delights in deceiving and afflicting the children of men. Now, even in this day and age, this is probably not something that you'd say about someone. We're working with Satan. At least you wouldn't say it to their face. But back then, this would have been incredibly offensive. And the Pharisees had made this insult before in chapter 9, back then, or back there in, in that earlier chapter, this was so out of pocket that Jesus didn't even dignify it with a response. But at this point in the game, Jesus decides to clap back. Now, we just heard two different perspectives on what Jesus just did. This is Jesus' explanation of what just happened. Look with me at verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, By whom do your sons cast them out? (laughs) Therefore, they'll be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying, guys, come on. Really? You're not making any sense. I am casting out demons if I'm working for Satan, I'm doing a really bad job (laughs) because I'm pretty sure this is the last thing he wants me to do. Far from doing this by the power of Satan, Jesus is working by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he says in verse 28, if it's by the power of the Spirit of God that he casts out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's a big Deal. Because Satan is very strong. First John 5 tells us that the whole world is in the power of the evil one. Satan is the king of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He's a pretty powerful guy. Now think of the strongest person you know, that guy who's just pure muscle, who can bench three times his own weight. I'm talking your Hulk Hogan's, your Dwayne The Rock Johnson's, your Brandon Reddicks. Now imagine that for some reason you want to rob this guy. You want to steal The Rock's flat screen TV. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that that'd probably be a death wish. If one night you just broke through his bedroom window, I guarantee you he'd be up in five seconds and you'd be toast. So what would it take? You'd probably have to bind him. You'd have to tie him up. And I say that, but that's easier said than done because How do you tie up the rock? It goes without saying that to tie up a strong man, it takes someone even stronger. Good thing the Holy Spirit is much stronger than Satan. Satan, the strong man, is being bound by Jesus and what he's doing. And as powerful as his kingdom may have been, the whole thing, the whole operation is going to crash and burn. Jesus is launching a full frontal assault on Satan's kingdom. He's not just casting out demons. What he's saying here, what he's saying is that he's claiming territory for the kingdom of God. If I'm casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And if that's what's happening right now, if this is more than just a healing, if this is a kingdom invasion, a coordinated attack on Satan's strongholds, then Jesus is saying, listen, Pharisees, you need to hear this. Because how you respond to what I'm doing is very important. Look with me at verse 30. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. If you're not with me, you're against me, Pharisees. Plain and simple. Jesus is warning the Pharisees that there is no neutral ground. Like it or not, everybody is on a side. You're either a good tree or you're a bad tree. You're either with the kingdom of God or you're with the kingdom of Satan. And on the final day of judgment, your words will either be justified or they'll be condemned. And so if the Pharisees right here are choosing to oppose Jesus, if they're looking at what he's doing, casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, trampling on the kingdom of Satan, and if they're calling that the work of Satan, then their fruit The words that come out of their mouths reveal the evil that lies in their hearts. Their wicked response to Jesus reveals them to be, what? A brood of vipers, children of the serpent, offspring of Satan. So they're in grave danger, Jesus is saying. They're picking the wrong side. They will stand condemned at the judgment. I don't know if you noticed it, but just now the tables turned. See, here they were, the Pharisees, they were putting Jesus on blast. They were insulting him, accusing him, saying that he works for Satan. And now in just a couple paragraphs, Jesus has completely flipped the script. He's exposed their lies, and now they're on the defensive. Jesus is saying, look, you guys can try to put me on trial, but me and God are good. I'm not the one who needs to be worried. It's you guys who are going to stand on trial before the holy God on the day of judgment. And it's you who should be asking yourselves, will I be justified or will I be condemned? Because one day, it's going to be too late. And while God will forgive every sin, there is actually some sins, actually just one sin that you just don't come back from. And that bridge is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now pause. What's going on in your mind when I say that phrase? The blasphemy of the Spirit. The blasphemy of the Spirit. If you're like me, you've got a million questions running through your head. Like, what is that? What is the blasphemy of the Spirit? And and why is it unforgivable? I thought we just read earlier today that there is no sin so terrible that God will not forgive it. How does someone blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Is it just saying something mean about him? Are there certain words that are especially blasphemous? If it's so important, why, why doesn't it say what it is here in the passage? More importantly, how can I make sure that I never accidentally do it? Or, or, or what if I've already accidentally done it? What happens then? Can you tell I'm a warrior? My guess is some of you are starting to worry too. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or the unforgivable sin is such a worrisome topic because it's the one exception to forgiveness, and yet we know so little about it. It's been the cause of much anxiety. It's been both misused and abused. It's made some people afraid to even talk about the Holy Spirit. It's made others lose hope, thinking that maybe they've already messed up, and there's no chance for them now. Now, I don't got all the answers, but here's a couple points about what I do know and what I think is going on in this passage. Point number one, look at the context. With any tough question in the Bible, you wanna first look and see if there's anything in the immediate context or in the overarching story that shed some light on this one tricky part. And what we know about today's story is that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He sees the path that they're going down. And so he says, look, Here's what's going to happen if you don't change. And what were the Pharisees doing? They were calling good evil and evil good. Mistaking light for darkness. They were looking at something that is clearly of God, casting out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're calling that the work of the devil. It's in this context that Jesus gives them this warning. He says in verse 32, look, whoever speaks a word against me will be forgiven. I I get it, guys. You don't really know me. You haven't seen what I'm about to do. In fact, many, many are going to deny and condemn the Son of Man. Many are going to blaspheme him, even. But on the cross, he's going to ask God to do what? To forgive them, because they know not what they do. The blasphemy against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But while speaking against Jesus is forgiven, as verse 32 continues, if you blaspheme the Spirit, Guys, if you do that, that's it, you're done. And I think that Jesus brings this up because of what happens later on in the story. Jesus tells his disciples that after he rises up from the grave, he's going to leave them. But that'll actually be to their advantage because in his place, Jesus is going to send a teacher, a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will guide God's people into all truth. So what is the blasphemy of the Spirit? And why is it unforgivable? Based on the immediate context and the overarching story, I believe the blasphemy of the Spirit is having the Spirit-revealed truth that Jesus is the Spirit-empowered Messiah, knowing that for certain and yet still hardening your heart and making yourself an enemy of God. It's responding to the work of the Spirit with rejection. Because this level of hard-hardness only leads to destruction. Now how do you know if you've reached this level? What if you're sitting here worrying that you've already crossed this line? My second point for you today we have a very gracious God. Maybe you missed it, but verse 31 tells us that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. God is gracious beyond anything we could ever possibly imagine. He forgives every sin and blasphemy of those who call upon the name of his son. I mean, just just take a second right now and think about all the unlikely people who are gonna be there in heaven. Peter, who denied Christ three times. Paul, who hunted down and murdered people in the church. Folks, there will be people who have committed the worst kinds of sins. Murderers, adulterers, idolaters, even former Satanists. And yet, even these sins are not beyond God's forgiveness. I think the only thing that can't be forgiven... The unforgivable sin that we're talking about today is the sin of rejecting forgiveness. The sin of blaspheming the spirit, of placing yourself in such direct opposition to the spirit that you are essentially hardening your heart against Christ and rejecting his forgiveness. All of this is to say that I don't think Jesus is trying to frighten anxious people in this passage. I don't think he's saying worry more. I think what he's doing here is he's warning people, people like the Pharisees, people who don't realize that their arrogance and opposition to the Spirit is incredibly dangerous. The next couple of sections help us to get a handle of just how dangerous it is to oppose the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Again, we see the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees. They've witnessed firsthand the miracles that Jesus has done, the signs and wonders that he's accomplished, and they are still not satisfied it's still not enough for them. In the face of a mountain of evidence, they refuse to believe what the crowds can plainly see, that this is someone different. This is the son of David, the Messiah. When Jonah preached a message of repentance to the non-Jewish Ninevites, that wicked, violent, idolatrous, genocidal city, what did they do? They repented. And yet Jesus is greater than Jonah. His message is even greater than his. And still, he will be rejected by his own people, who had even more evidence than the Ninevites. When Solomon received that great queen, the queen of the south, the East African ruler, the queen of Sheba, she praised God after hearing the wisdom of Solomon. And yet Jesus is greater than Solomon. And still he will be rejected by the Pharisees who did not have, who had even more information than the Queen of Sheba had. And so the only sign that Jesus is going to give them is one that he knows they're going to reject. Like Jonah, Jesus is going to go down into the depths of darkness, but only for three days and three nights. Because then our savior is gonna rise up from the dead. He's gonna come up from the tomb. And this will be a sign far greater than any healing or exorcism that Jesus could have done. But even then, this evil generation of the Pharisees will reject it. And so on the judgment day, when every man, woman and child is gonna stand trial before God for everything they've ever done, every careless word they've spoken, It's these Gentiles, the Ninevites, the queen of Sheba, who are going to be raised to new life just as Christ was. And they will be justified by God because they repented and turned to God. But the Pharisees, who had the witness of the scriptures, of the prophets, of seeing Christ's earthly ministry, who had someone greater than Jonah, someone greater than Solomon, they're going to stand condemned before God even if they did their best to be good, even if they followed all the religious rules they could, even if they had nothing to do with with demonic activity, shoot, even if they cast out demons, if they do all these things, but they reject the Holy Spirit and all of Christ's works, there is no hope for them. Look with me at verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. And then it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil Generation. At the beginning of our story, Jesus casts out a demon. And being free of demons is a good thing, yes. By all means, if you got a demon, get it out. But if the demon goes out and nothing replaces it, if the house is just empty, swept clean and in order, and no one's living The demon is just gonna come back and bring all its buddies to trash the place again. It's not enough to be free of evil spirits. You have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's not enough to escape the kingdom of Satan. You have to enter the kingdom of God. Folks, by now I hope you understand my main point for today. There is no middle ground. There are only two options. You are either with Jesus or you are against him. You will either repent and rise with Jesus or you will reject him and be condemned. Bridge, if you haven't done this, then today's the day. Don't wait another second. Now is the time to turn to God. Forgiveness is yours if you haven't hardened your heart. All you have to do is accept it. Accept Jesus as the only way to be saved, as the only Lord of your life. And when you do this, the same spirit by which Christ casts out demons, the same spirit that is toppling Satan's evil empire, this powerful Holy Spirit will bring you fully into the kingdom of God, the family of God. Because this spirit is the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Look with me at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Brothers and sisters, if you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, then you are a child of God. Then you are part of Christ's family. And if we're in Jesus' family, then we are in the family business, a business of growing and spreading the kingdom of God. When you evangelize, when you do good works, when you tell people about what Jesus is doing, then you are claiming territory for the kingdom. A kingdom where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Bridge, if you are a part of this kingdom, if Jesus is your king, if you are not opposed to the spirit, but rather full of the spirit, then you have nothing to fear. There is no demon that can hold power over your soul. There is no charge that will condemn you. There is no sin that will not be forgiven because you are on the right side. You are on God's side. Bridge, I urge you, hold fast to that truth. Hold fast to that reality. Remember which side you're on and take encouragement in that. Please pray with me. Well, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this morning and the truths that we find in your word, the truth that your son is not just here to give us temporary relief, but God, he is here to end Satan's works. God, we renounce the devil and all his works. We renounce his empire. God, we pray right now that you would send your spirit, God, to topple all strongholds. God, I pray for anyone in this room who is struggling with anything that the enemy is telling him, God, any of his lies, anything going on in any stronghold that the enemy is holding there and ask that your spirit would just destroy it right now. God, would you do a work in us? God, would you remind us today of who we are in your Son, of who we are by your Spirit? God, that we are children of God. God, remind us of that reality. God, help us to bear good fruit in keeping with repentance, God. Help us to remember that we are adopted children of God. And that because of that, we are forgiven every sin Help us not to harden our hearts, to not be liable of blaspheming your spirit, God, but to be full of your spirit. Give us that confidence, God. Give us a confidence in your son, a confidence in the spirit that dwells in us. I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.